Our scripture reading, we turn to Judges chapter 6. <coughs> Last week we read through verse 24 of Judges 6. And in order for us to get the continuity of the entire history, let's begin and pick up our reading at Judges 6 verse 25. And we're going to read through verse 8 of chapter 7. And the text for the sermon will be verse 2 of chapter 7. But we'll begin reading Judges 6, verse 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, to Gideon, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerub Baal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. Then all the Midianites... And the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, <coughs> and if it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And 
Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. <coughs> then Jerobel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped, Will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man unto his place? So the people took vittles in their hand and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel every man unto his tent and retained those 300 men for the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And thus far we read God's holy an inspired word. Call your attention to the text, verse 2 of chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. <clears throat> Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, the battle with the Midianites is about to begin. We're getting closer and closer to the time when Gideon and his 300 men will cry out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. But before that battle takes place, 
Jehovah God will teach the Israelites a very important lesson. And it's a lesson not only for the Israelites, but it's a lesson for the church of all ages. It's a lesson that has to do with numbers. Numbers, particularly as we fight the battles of Jehovah and as we receive the salvation that Jehovah grants. Gideon has now gathered together. Uh, in Judges 6, verse 34, we read that Gideon has gathered together all of Abiezer. That would be those of his own home country, his own family, and his own kinsmen. He's gathered those men unto him. He's sent messengers throughout, as Judges 6, 34 goes on to say, he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. And we know from Judges 7, verse 3, that the total number of men gathered unto Gideon, the number that he started off with was 32,000 men. Gideon has an army of 32,000 men. Now, that's a lot of men. That's a large army, 32,000 men. To put that into perspective, if the population of Sioux Center is around 8,000 people or thereabouts, then the size of Gideon's army would be four times the size of the population of Sioux Center. So that in its own right, that's a lot of men. That's a pretty large army according to human reckoning at least, a, a good-sized army. But God sees the number in Gideon's army, and God is not happy with those numbers. And God says in verse 2, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. And that's astounding because the size of the Midianite army and we know this from the next chapter, Judges chapter 8, verse 10, the size of the Midianite army is 135,000 men. And so you have the Israelites, 32,000, and you have the Midianites, 135,000 men. And God gives a lesson concerning numbers. Gideon, the number of men that are with thee are too many. Now, this isn't the only passage in Scripture where Jehovah God gives a lesson on numbers. God teaches this truth in other passages beside. We see the same kind of truth illustrated earlier in the Old Testament in Genesis 14, I believe, where Abraham and his men, 318, go out and rescue Lot and his family from the kings of Mesopotamia. You think of all the victories that God gave to Joshua and the Israelites as they entered the land of Canaan and as they fought with the Canaanites. So many times the armies of the enemy were more in number than God's people, and God always gave the victory. And then when we get to the spiritual meaning behind numbers, 
We look at a passage like Zechariah 4, verse 6, a familiar passage where God says, Not by might, nor by power, that is, not by earthly might, not by earthly power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And then also verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 and following, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The thinking of man is this. The more we have, the stronger we become, the more confident we become, and the more sure that we are right in our own cause. Because after all, we have so many. And you see, that's the thinking of the world. That's the foolishness of man. The wisdom of God says, Gideon, the men that are with thee are too many. I call your attention to this text, Judges 7, verse 2. Too many in Gideon's army. Let's look at the Lord's estimation in the first place. Secondly, the pride of the people. And finally, the wisdom of Jehovah. Now let's set the stage for a few moments to remember what is happening in the land of Israel at the moment. The Midianites, together with the Amalekites, together with the children of the east, have come into the land of Canaan and have settled into the valley of Jezreel. Judges 6, verse 33. The valley of Jezreel was a very strategic position chosen by the Midianites because the valley of Jezreel was a very fertile area. And so the Midianites are as close as possible to the best of the crops and to the best of the harvest in the land of Israel. And that valley of Jezreel would become the base of their operations so that the Midianites could send out smaller armies into other parts of Israel. And we know that was indeed the case because later in Judges that when Gideon was given the victory over the Midianites in Judges 8 verse 18, Gideon asks those two Midianite kings who go by the names of Zeba and Zelmana about a battle that had already taken place. And Zeba and Zelmana say to Gideon, well, we killed Israelite men, and those men resembled a king. And Gideon said, those men were my brothers. Well, that tells us that already the Midianites had sent out their armies into the land of Israel, and there had already been skirmishes taking place. But now, with all of the Midianites... They are down in the valley of Jezreel. Gideon and his 32,000 men are up above in Mount Gilead. We read in Judges 7 verse 1 that there is a natural spring of water where the Israelites were. It calls it the well of Herod. 
And that well of Herod probably sprung forth up there in the foothills, creating a, a small lake up there in the mountains, which becomes what God will use later to whittle down the number of Gideon's army. And that small lake would flow down as a small river down into the valley of Jezreel. And so there Gideon and his 32,000 men are up in the foothills and down below the Midianites, 135,000 strong, and there becomes an apparent problem. Well, really two problems. The first problem is that there are too many Midianites, 135,000 men, tens of thousands more than the populations combined of Paul and Sioux Center and Orange City and Sheldon and even many other cities besides 135,000 men. And these men are veterans in their line of work. They have been plundering Israel for seven years in a row. They are confident. They are sure of themselves. And they are men who are well-equipped for this type of labor. We see in Judges 7, verse 12, we didn't read that far, but that they have a multitude of camels besides. That's the first apparent problem. There's too many Midianites. And then correspondingly, the second apparent problem is that there's too few Israelites, 32,000 men against 135,000 men. And you don't need a degree in mathematics to know that the numbers are not in favor of the Israelites as far as numbers are concerned. And not only is the number of the Israelite army so small, but their courage is very small. They have answered the call of Gideon to come and fight, and that was good, but we know that many of these men were scared in their hearts, and many of these men, when given the opportunity to go back home, they did that. They went back home. But here's an army of men who are low on food, Keep in mind, the Midianites have plundered the land for seven years straight. These men, they are low on morale. They are low on strength. No swift camels like the Midianites had. So that from an earthly point of view, one might conclude that the problem is that the Midianites are too, too much and that the Israelites are too few. Probably even how many of the Israelites reckoned the problem to be. But God reckons things differently. And God tells us what the problem actually is. And this is the problem in verse 2. Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many. There were too many in Gideon's army. And God is saying to Gideon, Gideon, 32,000 men? That is far too many for me to give you the victory. And something will need to take place to get those numbers down. And there's a principle right here that the Word of God teaches. And the principle is this. We'll expand on this in the course of the sermon. Don't put your hope in numbers. Don't pin all your trust and safety in numbers. What does that mean? 
well, for these Israelite men in Gideon's army, I imagine that there were some, and perhaps even a good number of Israelites who were of the mind, if only we had more men. If only Gideon could get some men from the tribe of Judah, because Judah was a very large tribe. If only Gideon could get some men from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim was a very large tribe. If only Gideon could get some more men from the rest of the Israelites and the tribes, then we could get more men and then we would have great numbers and then perhaps we could rival the Midianite army trusting in numbers. Trusting in numbers is a sin. This is the sin of idolatry. Idolatry is the sin of placing your trust in anything or anyone else besides the one true and living God. Trusting in numbers, this is the idolatry that captivates so many people in the world today and so many people in the church world. And you have that emphasis in the, in, in the world at large, especially in Western nations that are overwhelmingly democratic. What the majority of the people want, that, then that's what they get. And if the majority of the people want it, then there must be some validity to it. There must be some virtue to it, right? If the majority of the people want a certain holiday to be recognized, they usually get it. If the majority of the people want same-sex marriage to be allowed, if the majority of the people want certain laws to be enacted or certain laws to be repealed, then usually they get what they want because they got the numbers. And numbers speak loudly. And then almost by definition, those who are in the majority or those who are in the minority what they want is usually considered no good not really good at all because if not many people are on board well how good can it really be and generally speaking in the world at large the more numbers you have the more right your cause appears to be that's what drives people that's what motivates people number and the same holds true in the church world. People are smitten with numbers. If we can get numbers, we can be somebody, and we can have some influence in the world. That's the thinking. Who wants to be a small church? Because the thinking is, is that if you're a small church, then there must be something wrong with you. Whereas, on the other hand, if you are a large church with many people, well, then that must mean that you're doing something right because why else would people join such a church? And sad to say, many churches nowadays take great pride in their membership rosters, whether it be large mega churches. But even this kind of thinking creeps into Reformed and Presbyterian churches, and countless hours are spent by the board of elders, by the consistory, in trying to answer the question, how can we get more people? How can we increase the numbers? 
Now, let's be clear here. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to answer that question. The right way is this. You want more numbers? That's fine. But desire it from this point of view because we want more people to come to a knowledge of the truth because we love the truth. And if God gives us an open door to proclaim the gospel to others, well, it's our desire that those others will hear the truth and embrace the gospel and come join us in church and make the same confession that we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And all of this we understand subject to the Lord's will, but that, I suppose, is the right way to desire numbers. But the wrong way is this, when people say, we want numbers so that we can see how large we can get. We want numbers because if we have numbers, then we will gain the respect of others then we will gain the respect of other churches in the area. If we have more numbers, then we will be stronger as a church and we will be able to accomplish so much more in the community. Or even this, with numbers, people feel like they're part of something big. After all, with so many numbers, these people can't all get it wrong. There's got to be something right going on if so many people want it. And it all amounts to numbers for the sake of numbers. And when a church has that wrong desire for numbers, then it's not at all uncommon for even Reformed and Presbyterian churches to engage in a very foolish and deceptive practice of having two memberships rosters where this is the total membership of the church everybody who's on the membership rolls look at all these members and that's usually the numbers that are broadcast about and that they brag about but on the other hand there is another membership roster where these are the members that are actually in attendance twice every lord's day and sad to say, the numbers don't match up. Now, we may desire numbers, but let's realize as a congregation that our strength as a church of Jesus Christ is not in numbers. God has been pleased to give us numbers down through the years, and we thank him for it. But that's not our strength. That's not our might. That's not our glory as a church. But our strength as a church of Jesus Christ is our confession of the truth and our strength is in the word of God so that you understand that all of the numbers in the world, if we could double the size of the church, triple it, create the largest church we ever could, it would amount to nothing if we don't have the word of God. But nonetheless, that wrong kind of thinking about numbers can find its way into our thinking, and we must be uh, aware of that. Maybe sometimes one would secretly wish if we could make the preaching a little bit smoother, if 
the minister could be a little bit more practical and not always feel the need to explain those heavy areas of theology. Then maybe we could attract more visitors and they would stay. If we would not be so strict on who may partake of the Lord's Supper, relax the requirements for admission to the Lord's Supper, and then that would attract a few more outsiders. Or regarding church discipline, to ease up on that a bit, because that really offends people, and it tends to drive visitors away when they know how strictly the commandments are enforced. Now, I mentioned those three things in particular because, as you recognize, those things are the marks of the true church of Jesus Christ. And we don't touch the marks. We don't go tweaking and adjusting the marks of the true church for the sake of numbers. And if the marks of the true church is faithfully displayed, doesn't become the attractive feature for people who might potentially think of joining, well then, frankly speaking, you don't want those people as members of the church because they would be joining for the wrong reasons. But we don't go playing fast and loose with the marks of the church for the sake of numbers. Well, people of God, do you, do you want numbers? From a certain point of view, we say, we say we do. From a certain point of view, we say, yes, we want numbers. We want more families. And, and that's a good desire, not a bad desire at all. So the question is, how does it please God to add numbers to his church? Well, God uses those very marks of the true church of Jesus Christ to cause his church to grow. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, that he is the only way of salvation, that salvation is only in him, that penitent members trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone are allowed to come to partake of the Lord's Supper, when Christian discipline is taken seriously as the word of God sets it forth, then God works in the hearts of his people so that they see that kind of a church with those three marks and that those people would say, that's the church that I need to be in. God uses the marks to increase numbers according to his will. And concerning especially that third mark of the church, Christian discipline, that's very important. Is Christian discipline something we ought to get rid of or even tone down for the sake of numbers? And in that connection, I draw your attention to the history of Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. And you, even you children, you know the history of Ananias and Sapphira. Both Ananias and Sapphira, members of the early church, they were both called to Peter separately, and they both told the same lie. They said, here is the price of the land that we paid. Here is all of the price. But secretly, they kept back part of the price. Well, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Christian discipline was exercised upon them. And they fell down and they died. And what was the reaction 
of the church. Was the reaction of the church, oh, no, this isn't going to be good for the numbers of the church. Well, well, there are two different, rea- two different reactions to Ananias and Sapphira falling over dead. In the first place, there was the reaction of the general population of the Jews in Jerusalem. And this according to Acts chapter 5, verse 13. Acts 5, verse 13 says that when that general population of the Jews heard that Ananias and Sapphira had fallen over dead, Acts 5, verse 13, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them. And that's as much to say that of the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem that they said, we're not joining with the Christians because we see that Christian discipline is being exercised and we don't want anything to do with that. But then what was the reaction of God's people to that history of Ananias and Sapphira? By those who believed Acts 5, verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, men and women who believed the gospel, and when they heard that Christian discipline was exercised upon Ananias and Sapphira for lying, and God worked in the hearts of his people to say, That's the church I need to be in. And God used that mark of Christian discipline to add numbers to his church. And so it's not wrong to desire numbers, but how will God be pleased to add numbers according to his will? God uses the marks of the true church to add numbers to the church. And one last thing that we need to underscore and understand about God's estimation of numbers is that I don't mean to give the impression that being a member of something small in number automatically means that something good is going on. I don't mean to leave that impression because there can be horrible churches, apostate churches that are very small in number. Nor is it the case that we ought to become suspicious of a church simply because they are large in number. Because you can have a church that's very small and be faithful. You can have a medium-sized church that's a very faithful church. And you can have a large church that is faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point is this. It's in the nature of man to seek refuge in numbers, to find my security in numbers, to trust in the number of the multitude of men that are on my side. But you see, God's reckoning is different. And God's reckoning is this. Gideon, the number of men that are with thee are too many. And that leads us to the question, why does God give this evaluation? Why were there too many men in Gideon's army? 
And the answer to that is in the text in verse 2. Judges 7, verse 2. The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. That's the reason why there were too many. God is here saying that if all of those 32,000 men had been allowed to fight against the Midianites, and when God would give them the victory, that then afterward the men would say, well, it was us. We accomplished the victory. We didn't have as many as the Midianites, but we had a good number of men in our own right, and it was by our own strength, by our own cunning, by our own wisdom, that we have gotten the victory. And God tells us that the Israelites would have vaunted themselves. Vaunt. That means that they would be puffed up in pride. Mine own hand hath saved me. So that the Israelites would not have said, God is the one who has saved us, but they would have said, because of their large numbers, mine own hand hath saved me. And here is where we have to keep in mind and to appreciate that this is the divine assessment of Jehovah God. This is no speculation on the part of God of what the Israelites might have done, but maybe they would have done something differently. This is is in fact what those 32,000 men would have done. And God's assessment is true. They would have vaunted themselves. And this assessment is true because God knows the heart of man. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart of man is, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God knows it. And God knows the natural reaction of man, the natural motions of the flesh, is to say, mine own hand hath saved me. It's the natural reaction of man to be proud and to glory in himself and to say it was because of me and the strength of our numbers. And now I trust you can... You can see why. Well you, well, you can see when God says, Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many. And you can see why this was such an important and serious matter. Because if all those 32,000 men would have gone into battle against the Midianites and God giving them the victory, but those Israelites would not only have been guilty of a gross violation of the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, but they would have been guilty of a gross violation of the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. What would they have stolen? They would have stolen the glory of God. Mine own hand hath saved me. See how great and strong and powerful we are all by ourselves, we have conquered the Midianites. And God hates that kind of attitude. 
God hates that kind of attitude because our God is a jealous God. He's jealous that all glory be given unto him. So that whenever there's a victory in the lives of God's people, and we experience many victories in our lives, whenever there's a conquering of this or that sin, whenever there is an advancing from strength to strength in your life or in my life, then God says, all because of me. And you ascribe all praise and honor and glory to me. And especially then, and especially in the arena of salvation, when we speak about how we are saved, not Roman Catholicism works righteousness, which saves me, not Arminianism, that partly my free will, which now becomes the occasion for me to not resist the grace of God and therefore giving him permission to save me. No, no, neither of those two ways. That's nothing but human pride. That's boasting. That's vaunting. But all my salvation from beginning to end, we ascribe to Jehovah God, who has given unto us his only begotten Son. And that's a testimony of Scripture. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, so that it is not of him, salvation, so that salvation is not of him that willeth, Arminianism, nor of him that runneth, think works righteousness, salvation is not of him that willeth, it's not of him that runneth, but of God who shows mercy. Then also Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and following, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And this all leads us then to the wisdom of Jehovah. The wisdom of Jehovah regarding numbers. And I read those verses at the beginning in the, in the introduction. I want to read some verses from the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many men after the flesh Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of this world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. The wisdom of the world is numbers. Uh, The more we have, the more educated the people are, the higher their status is in society, then that must mean that we are right and our cause is just. But the wisdom of God 
The wisdom of God is along these lines. 1 Corinthians 1, it pleases God to work through lowly means. That which the world despises, that which the world scoffs at, which is centrally the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified. God uses that to confound the wisdom of this world. As the end of 1 Corinthians 1 states, that no flesh should glory in his presence. If we can be more specific, the wisdom of God is along these lines. And now here to use the language of Judges 7 verse 2, God says, I will accomplish deliverance. I will accomplish salvation for my people, not through numbers, not by an abundance of people. That's too many. But I will accomplish salvation with few, even one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, that's a truth that we are already taught here in the Old Testament. In a battle with the Gideon, uh, with the battle of Gideon and the Israelites against the Midianites, God is teaching us that there is one who provides salvation. For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, one man who was despised and rejected of men, one man who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, one man who offered his body in atonement for the sins of all God's people. So that you understand that with regard to your and my salvation, How do we get it? It's not a joint effort. That's far too many that robs God of his glory, but one. And all my salvation is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the wisdom of God. And so there were too many in Gideon's army, and that teaches us not to become fixated with numbers, and if the Lord is pleased to give us numbers for a time, then we thank him for it, but we don't ever pin our happiness and security in an abundance of numbers, but we pin all our happiness, all our hope, all our salvation in one man, and one man alone, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. Apply it to our hearts and lives and give us to rely upon thee and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in all things and that in all of the victories that we experience in this life that we would ascribe all glory unto thee. But Heavenly Father, strengthen us for every battle. Give us grace sufficient every day that we may go forth and that we may fight against sin, Satan, and the world, and that in all things we may be led by the Lord Jesus Christ, our conquering King, who gives us the victory. Forgive graciously our sins. Create in us a new and right spirit, and give us to 
honor the fourth commandment even in the evening hours of this Sabbath day. We pray this all in Jesus' name alone. Amen.